Chapter fourteen of the surprising adventures of Bamfield Moore Carew, King of the Beggars, by Bamfield Moore Carew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Two months after this came home Captain Frode, laden with tobacco. As soon as he came to an anchor, several gentlemen of Exeter went on board and inquired what passage and where he left Mr. Carew. Damn him, replied the captain, you will never see him again. He ran away, was taken, put into Newtown jail, brought back again, and whipped, had a pothook put upon him, ran away with it on his neck, and has never been heard of since. So that without doubt he must either be killed by some wild beast or drowned in some river. At this the gentleman fell a-laughing, telling the captain he had been at home two months before him. Captain Frode swore it could never be however they confirmed it to him that it was so. Soon after this Mr. Carew went and paid his respects to Sir William Courtney, returning him many thanks for what he had furnished him with when he sailed for Maryland, adding he had been as good as his word in coming home before Captain Frode. Sir William told him he thought he had, and then called to his butler to give him something to drink. In a little time Sir William came to him again with his brother Mr. Henry Courtney, and conducted him to a noble parlour, where was a great company of fine ladies sitting, whom our hero accosted with all that respect which is ever due to beauty and merit. Sir William then asked him jocosely if he could find out which was his dove. He replied he knew some of the ladies there, and that unless his judgment deceived him, such a lady, singling out one of them, was the happy person. You are right, replied Sir William, this is indeed my dove, and turtle dove. Sir William then put a piece of money in his hat, as did Mr. Courtney, and bid him go round to the ladies which he did, addressing them in a very handsome manner, and we need not add gathered a plentiful harvest, as the fair sex are in general so much inclined to humanity and good nature. Sir William asked him if he would not drink to the lady's health, and filled him up a bumper of excellent wine. He then took his leave of this truly noble and hospitable gentleman. Here, reader, if my pen were equal to the task, I would describe to you one whom, in this degenerate age, thou mayest gaze at as a prodigy, one who, like the phoenix rising from the ashes of his father, inherits all the virtues of his glorious ancestors. I would describe to you magnificence without extravagance, pomp without ostentation, plenty without luxury or riot, and greatness undiminished by little pride. I would set before you something more than a king, surrounded and imprisoned by worthless and impervious favorites, fawning sycophants and tasteless grandeur. Such are the scenes within thy walls, such thy master, happy Powderham. From hence our hero went to Squire Bell's of Mamheap. In the way he met with Mr. Jackson, his steward, who was lame with the gout. He presently knew Mr. Carew, gave him half a crown, and told him he would hop back on his crutches to give him something to drink. While they were drinking a glass, the steward advised him to make application to the squire. Presently after he came out, and Mr. Carew soon began his attack upon him, pray who are you said the justice i am a poor unfortunate west indian replied he who has been shipwrecked on the coast of ireland and was taken up by a bristol ship ay ay you are one of carew's gang i suppose said the justice but he is transported 
bless your honour returned he i am no impostor i have heard that he was a very great one and i think deserved more than transportation well well there's a shilling for you replied the justice and go about your business from hence he steered towards mr oxenham's at newhouse when he came near the house he pulled off his shirt and gave it to an old man he met as though he had been amazed then marched up to the house and just at the stable met mrs oxenham and another lady whom he immediately accosted with a doleful complaint of being a poor shipwrecked mariner mrs oxenham told him she should have taken him for bamfield more carew but she knew him to be transported he was not disconcerted at this but readily told her with great composure that his name was thomas jones belonging to bridgeport in dorsetshire the ladies gave each a shilling and then bid him to go into the house where he had victuals set before him before he went away the ladies sent him a holland shirt being thus equipped he inquired out the churchwardens of the parish and by the same story got a crown of them from hence he went to lord clifford's at ugbrook in the parish of chudley here he sent in a petition to my lord as an unfortunate roman catholic and received a guinea he lay that night at sandy gate and behaved as a roman catholic under the name of william passmore the next day at mull upton's in newton bushel he met with one of the sisters of that order of mendicants commonly called cousin betty's and he having an inclination to pay a visit to sir thomas carew at hackham soon made an agreement with the cousin betty to exchange habits for that day the barber was then called in to make his beard as smooth as his art and razor could make it and his hair was dressed up with ribbons thus metamorphosed our hero set out having a little dog under his arm being come to sir thomas carew's he rushed into the house without ceremony demanding his rent in an imperious tone none of the men-servants being in the way the women first ran one way and then another but he taking notice of this confusion continued to act the madwoman beating his head against the wall kissing the dog and demanding his rent at last one of the women-servants came out crying lady you are welcome to the rent and gave him a crown but he was not to be removed so easily for now he fell a-raving again and demanded some merry-go-down they then brought him some ale which having drunk he took his leave thanking them with a very low curtsey from hence he returned in his progress to parson sandford's of stoke in tinney where having entered the house with as little ceremony as before he not only demanded his rent as usual but a gown for some of his cousins neither would he take his leave till he had got a shilling for rent a good gown and some pinners he next called upon parson richards at coombe in tinney where he got a shilling and a shift having thus succeeded in his new adventure he returned to his quarters at mother upton's in newton bushel where he divided the profits of the day with his good cousin betty and also passed the night very merrily with her the next day he restored his borrowed accoutrements to cousin betty and calling for a pen and ink wrote a petition in the character of a poor unfortunate soap-boiler whose house was set on fire by the carelessness of an apprentice in the parish of monksilver not forgetting to sign it with the names of several neighbouring gentlemen with this fictitious petition he went to justice taylor's at dembury where he was handsomely relieved 
thence he went to justice neale's and finding upon inquiry the justice himself was at home he did not venture to deliver his petition but begged as an unfortunate man and was relieved with a cup of cider and some bread and cheese at darlington he assumed the character of a rat-catcher and sold a receipt to a gentleman's steward for a crown and under this character he travelled forward to plymouth here learning that there was to be a great cock-match he laid aside his rat-catcher's habit and put on that of a gentleman and not the habit only as too many do but the manners and behaviour likewise at the cock-match he betted several wagers with sir coventry carew and his own brother mr henry carew the minister of saltash which he had the good fortune to win and left the cockpit undiscovered by any one thus great is the power of dress which transforms and metamorphoses the beggar into a gentleman and the cinder wench into a fine lady therefore let not the little great i mean those who have nothing to recommend them but their equipage pride themselves as though they had something superior in them to the poor wretch they spurn with so much contempt for let me tell them if we are apt to pay them respect they are solely indebted for it to the mercer and tailor strip them of their gaudy plumes and we shall not be able to distinguish them from the lowest order of mumpers this puts us in mind of a remarkable adventure of our hero's life which he always told with a great deal of pleasure one day as he was begging in the town of maiden bradley from door to door as a poor shipwrecked seaman he saw on the other side of the street a mendicant brother sailor in a habit as forlorn as his own begging for god's sake just like himself seeing mr carew he crossed the way came up to him and in the cant language asked where he lay last night what road he was going and several other questions then whether he would brush into a boozing ken and be his thrums to this he consented and away they went where in the course of their conversation they asked each other various questions concerning the country the charitable and uncharitable families the moderate and severe justices the good and queer corporations this new acquaintance of mr carew's asked him if he had been at sir edward seymour's he answered yes and had received his alms the stranger therefore not having been there left him at the alehouse and went thither himself where having received the same alms that his new companion had he returned to him again the next day they begged through the town one on one side of the street and the other on the other each with his own separate story and account they then proceeded to the houses of several gentlemen in the neighbourhood both in one story which was that of the stranger among many others they came to lord weymouth's where it was agreed that mr carew should be spokesman upon their coming up to the house the servants bid them be gone unless they could give them a good account of themselves and the countries in which they pretended to have been for should lord weymouth come and detect them in any falsehood he would horsewhip them without mercy which was the treatment to all those whom he found to be counterfeits met with from him and he had detected great numbers of them having been abroad himself our travellers were not the least daunted mr carew being conscious in himself that he could give a satisfactory account of newfoundland and the other affirming that he had been at rome france spain portugal italy etc and could give as good a description of those countries as his lordship himself 
therefore up they went to the kitchen door and mr carew broke ice telling the deplorable story of their misfortune in his usual lamentable tone the housekeeper at first turned a deaf ear to their supplication and entreaty but mr carew at the instigation of his companion redoubled his importunity kneeling on one knee and making use of all the methods of exciting charity of which he was capable so that at last the housekeeper gave them the greatest part of a cold shoulder of mutton half a fine wheaten loaf and a shilling but did it with great haste and fear lest his lordship should see her and be angry of the butler they got a copper of good ale and then both expressing their thankfulness departed having reached some distance from the house there arose a dispute who should carry the victuals both being loath to encumber themselves with it as having neither wife nor child near to give it to mr carew was for throwing it into the hedge but the other urged that it was both a sin and a shame to waste good victuals in that manner so they both agreed to go to the green man about a mile from my lord's and there exchange it for liquor at this alehouse they tarried for some time and snacked the argo then after a parting glass each went his way the reader cannot but be surprised when we assure him that this mendicant companion of his was no less a person than my lord weymouth himself who being desirous of sounding the tempers and dispositions of the gentlemen and other inhabitants of the neighbourhood put himself into a habit so vastly beneath his birth and fortune in order to obtain that discovery nor was this the first time that this great nobleman had metamorphosed himself into the despicable shape and character of a beggar as several of that neighbourhood can testify but when he went abroad into the world in this disguise he took especial care to conceal it even from his own family one servant only in whose secrecy he greatly confided being entrusted therewith and this was his valet de chambre who used to dress shave and perform other such offices about his lordship's person mr carew and his noble companion having thus parted from each other he took his way into the woodlands towards rome and the disguised lord by a private way through the park and gardens returned to his own house and there divesting himself of his rags put on his embroidered apparel and reassumed the dignity and state to which both his birth and fortune entitled him i am informed said his lordship that two sailors have been at my house and inquiring which way they went he ordered two men and horses to go after them with a strict charge to bring them back to his house for he had heard they were impostors and if he found them such he would treat them accordingly the servants obeyed his commands without the least suspicion of the intricacy of this affair and soon came up with mr carew whom they forcibly brought up to my lord his lordship accosted him in a very rough stern manner asking where the other fellow was and told him he should be made to find him mr carew in the meantime stood thunderstruck expecting nothing less than a commitment to prison but upon examination made out his story as well as he could after having thus terrified and threatened him for a considerable time his lordship went out and divesting himself of the habit and character of a nobleman again put on his rags and was by his trusty valet de chambre ushered into the room where his brother beggar stood sweating for fear when they compared notes together whispering to each other what to say in order that their accounts might agree when examined apart as in effect they were 
the steward took mr carew aside into a private chamber and there pretending that the other fellow's relation contradicted his and proved them both to be counterfeits he said that a prison must be the portion of both and indeed nothing was omitted that might strike mr carew with the greatest terror and confusion by this time my lord having thrown off his rags and put on his fine apparel mr carew was again brought into his presence to receive his final sentence when his lordship having sufficiently diverted himself with the fear and consternation of his brother mumper discovered himself to him we might have mentioned before that while my lord and mr carew travelled together they asked each other whence they came and what their names were mr carew ingeniously confessed his but my lord disguised both his name and country so that having accidentally met with a mendicant of the greatest note in england his lordship thought fit to treat him in a manner aforesaid which he would not have done to every common vagrant however to satisfy himself that this was the famous and true bamfield moore carew for many impostors had usurped his name he sent for captain atkins a gentleman of his acquaintance in the neighbourhood who went to school with mr carew at tiverton this gentleman was very glad to see his old schoolfellow and assured his lordship that it was really mr bamfield moore carew upon which his lordship very nobly entertained him at his house for the space of three days and gave him an excellent suit of clothes and ten guineas but remembering the trouble they had and the loss they were at to dispose of the shoulder of mutton and bread which the housekeeper had given them as likewise the resolution mr carew had once taken to throw it away he called his housekeeper and strictly charged her never to give away a morsel of victuals more but bestow the alms in money only rightly judging that to be more acceptable to beggars than the best of provisions the greatest part of which they either waste give away or exchange for an inconsiderable quantity of drink as my lord and mr carew had done his lordship took mr carew to warminster horse-race and there recommended him to many honourable gentlemen who were very liberal to him he several times after made bold to call upon his lordship in his rounds and at every visit received a guinea and a hearty welcome at his house his lordship would frequently make himself merry with the story and jocosely say that he was more expert in the science of mumping than even mr carew himself not long after this mr carew came to biddeford again where he had been some time before and delivered the compass to captain haley's wife who immediately burst into tears upon seeing it supposing her husband was dead he then went to the dolphin where as he was drinking he saw some gentlemen in the butcher's row and asked the landlord who they were being told they were the captains harvey hopkins and bird go said he and give my duty and tell them mr banfield moore carew is at your house the landlord went accordingly and soon returned with the captains they were glad to see our hero who returned them thanks for the favours he had received from them in america the captains asked him a great many questions respecting his travels through the indians country etc and told him they never thought he could have gone through that dangerous undertaking but expected to have seen him return again he then gave them an account of everything to their satisfaction telling them he had followed their directions in every point they afterwards treated him very handsomely and made a collection for him 
the captain's then going out and reporting that he was in town a great concourse of people assembled to see him to the no little profit of the landlord for our hero ordered that no one should be admitted to see him till he had first drunk a quart of ale in the house some time after this he disguised himself like a poor miserable decrepit old man and took to selling of matches and gathering old rags happening to meet a brother ragman at wivliscombe they joined company and agreed to travel to porlock together just as they came to gutter hall night coming on apace they proposed taking up their quarters there the landlord told them he had no lodging to spare but if they would go half a mile farther and lie in a haunted house they should have their lodging free cost and good bread cheese and cider with a rasher of bacon into the bargain the ragmen very readily accepted this offer and accompanied by the landlord repaired to farmer lydon's house when they came there the landlord told the farmer he had brought two men who would lie in the haunted house the farmer received them very gladly and asked them if they were sure they had courage enough to do it adding he would give them twenty shillings if they could lay the old woman never fear farmer replied mr carew we have not only courage to speak to but learning enough to lay the old woman so that you shall never hear of her more things being thus agreed on the farmer's son a great stout fellow willing to show his courage in a very bold manner offered to keep them company having provided themselves with firing cider bread cheese and bacon they adjourned to the haunted house but not before mr carew had taken an opportunity of going into the yard and filling his pockets with large stones when they came to the haunted house they made a good fire and he and his companions sat down eating and drinking very merrily but the farmer's son beginning to have some terrors upon him had little stomach to eat about the middle of the night when everything is most silent and solemn at that time when every whisper of the mind is apt to create fear mr carew took an opportunity of throwing a stone unseen up the stairs which coming rumbling down again with a frightful noise might have at that time struck a panic into the most courageous heart the farmer's son turned pale and leaped from his chair in a great fright believing that the old woman was making her entrance but nothing appearing the same awful silence and stillness as before took place only fear stayed behind in the farmer's breast and mr carew and his companion kept mute as though in expectation of what would follow but soon this solemn silence was disturbed by a loud thump at the door again the farmer leaped from his seat crying out o oh lord save and deliver us at the same time unable to command those passages at which fear is apt to issue out he caused a smell almost as bad as satan himself is said to bring along with him mr carew caught him in his arms and holding his head close to his breast cried don't be afraid mr lydon for i will make the old woman fly at the same time pretending to conjure her he repeated three times very solemnly Hight spirito diabolico rubro oceano whilst his companion went a little aside and answered in a squeaking tone like joan lydon unless my will is fulfilled i will tear them in pieces soon after cock crowing there was another huge blow at the door and then they bid the farmer look up telling him the old woman was gone however he would not let go his hold of mr carew 
just as daylight appeared his companion went forth and picked up the stones from the stairs entry etc he had scarce done this before the old farmer came down to see if his son was alive and if they had seen old joan he accosted them with how do you do how have you spent the night oh father replied the son most terribly indeed you can't conceive what rattlings and noises we heard but this good man secured me in his arms but what smell is this replied the father sure old joan stinks of brimstone or something worse if she brought this along with her ay father father said the son i believe you would have raised as bad a smell as i have done if you had been here well well said the father perhaps i might but have you spoken to old joan yes indeed replied mr carew and what does the old woman say she says if her will is not exactly fulfilled as she desired she will never leave haunting you but if it be all shall be well and quiet they then went to the farmer's house where they were made very welcome and received the twenty shillings according to promise the farmer requesting they would stay the next night by themselves for he believed his son would have no stomach to go with them and tell the old woman everything should be fulfilled according to her will and they should be satisfied to their content they accordingly passed the next night there very merrily and received another twenty shillings in the morning which was well bestowed too by the farmer for ever after the house had the reputation of being quiet mr carew and his companion then set forward for porlock where they parted company and mr carew coming into porlock met dr tanner a relation of old joan liddens and his brother parson tanner who was with him after the usual salutations he very composedly asked if they had heard the news of the conjuring old joan the doctor replied they had heard something of it and that he was resolved either to send or take a ride over himself to inquire into the truth of it he confirmed it to them which occasioned a great deal of discourse about it and who these two conjurers could be we should perhaps have passed over in silence this adventure of our heroes but that an author of the first rate has taken a great deal of pains to frighten a poor soldier and entertain his readers by dressing up his hero in a white-coloured coat covered with streams of blood though we cannot well conceive how those streams of blood which ran down the coat in the morning should appear so very visible twenty hours after in the middle of the night and at a distance by the light of a single candle notwithstanding this great author has very judiciously acquainted us with a light-coloured coat but however this may be we are of opinion that the farmer's son in the above adventure is a more entertaining character than the soldier in the renowned history we are speaking of and that our hero whenever it was needful could make a much more tremendous figure than mr jones in his white-coloured coat covered with streams of blood the following is a sufficient instance End of chapter fourteen